This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. The following episode of TOEFOP is rated M.A. It may contain Batman references, time travel references, sexual references, lost trains of thought, and mild course language. TOEFOP advises that the program is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who enjoys succinct, coherent conversation that might actually have a point. Minors must be accompanied by a parent, guardian or priest. This is John Deke speaking. This is Dope Up. I'm Charlie Clawson. I am Will Anderson. How are you today, Charlie? You're tired. Oh, you look tired. tired I don't man. mean that in a bad way. <laughs> I, it, it sucks when someone says you look tired, but you told me you were tired and your face uh, backed, your, your, the, backed up the words that were coming out of your mouth. Well, you probably can't tell from uh, the angle the camera's on for Skype, but I'm actually, I'm so tired because, uh, no, you know, we have a, obviously a morning routine, but Iona was, I think she must be teething or something's going on. She was just every hour and a half, she was awake and crying. So I was up quite a lot last night. And then, you know, I make breakfast for everyone, delicious, healthy banana pancakes. Mm. Uh, <laughs> so maybe, maybe that's why she didn't sleep well, Charlie. <laughs> maybe <laughs> she was just, she was just scared about what the morning would bring, the horror of daylight <laughs> and what her father, the man who's meant to guide her through the rest of the world, believes pancakes are. He's, if he's going to lie to me about this, what is he going to lie to me about in the next 20 years? Well, look, I, I, I spoke to Dave Anthony yesterday. We did a uh, Instagram Live, which everyone can find now on uh, my Instagram page. Uh, I've uploaded it to the Tofop YouTube page and I'm trying to get it onto the Tofop Instagram TV page, but for some reason it's not loading, but it'll get there. But you can check that out. It's a lot of fun. But uh, one of the questions one of the viewers had was, uh, what does Dave think of, of Charlie's banana pancakes? Mm. Fair to say, not a fan. <laughs> but we did hit upon, um, you know, I realized that, um, you know, my lifestyle, my alternative lifestyle offends uh, some traditionists like you. I understand that, uh, you know, you believe that pancakes is between flour, eggs and milk. <laughs> and I believe, you know, that mar- uh, that the pancakes can be a more, uh, a wider definition. But look, I... Uh, yeah, I'm just saying, that- I'm saying, why can't you just call it something else? <laughs> yeah. Pancakes is for <laughs> us. You yes. can still have your breakfast. I'm not saying you're not allowed to eat breakfast. I'm just saying you shouldn't be allowed to call it our word. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you're you're just worried about all those uh, cafe owners who, if I walk in and force them to make me some banana pancakes, how it might uh, impinge on their their personal beliefs, right? I'm very worried about the people down at the pancake parlor. I mean, this is a real blow to their business. Uh, So, you know, talking it through with Dave, we hit upon a compromise, which I'm happy with, which is don't call them pancakes. Call them banana cakes. So uh, I made some banana cakes this morning, but I was so tired. Um, I would have gone with bland cakes, but sure, banana cakes is fine. <laughs> when I rolled out of bed, I'm actually wearing Gemma's hoodie. I didn't realize because I was uh, I had the banana cakes going on the on the pan, and I realized we didn't have any maple syrup, so I had to make do a dash to the local convenience store, and I just grabbed the first jumper I saw, thinking it was mine, and then I uh, didn't realize till I was. Uh, in, out in public that not only am I wearing my pajama pants my Ugg boots an old rock and roll t-shirt but I'm wearing a hoodie where the sli- sleeves are three times too short for my arms I look 
insane. Plus, I have that when you've had a rough night, rough night hair, you know, that look where it's mm. like you're sort of flat on one side, it's a bit puffy on the other. I've got a mustache. It's not a good look. I mean, it's a good thing this is not a visual medium. No, actually, I mean, you basically look like an inner city hipster. You've got your mustache, you've got your your, your hoodie that doesn't fit properly. People would have been looking at you going, hang on, is this the guy, the barista at this cafe? Look at him. Look at his style. (laughs) Yeah, I've got my own microbrewery. I'm just running. I just... uh Every Friday night we do uh, Dungeons and Dragons and we screen Kung Fu films and then uh, you can sample one of my microbrewery beers. You also play halfback flank for the Sydney Swans. (laughs) (laughs) (coughs) Um, But uh, Will, last night, uh, I realised what's happening. Mm. You know, we've talked about my evolution in becoming a father and the grumpiness and stuff, but... I think what I am becoming is Mrs. Mangle. That's that's what I am. I'm, I'm Mrs. Mangle. I'm the busybody. I'm the neighborhood busybody who's across everything and, you know, should really just stick to themselves. Look, last night. <laughs> I mean, by the way, we have been looking for a way to get you in neighbors. Mr. Mangle. <laughs> like a flip of the traditional storyline. It turns out that Mrs. Mangle's got some illegitimate son who's been floating around and he moves back right. to Ramsey Street to find out about his mum and you become the Mr. Mangle of the neighbourhood. I would have to be Miss, Mrs. Mangle's grandson, right? Because she was ancient when we were kids, Mrs. Mangle. Hey, um, uh, Podcast Mark, can you look up Mrs. Mangle? Can we get like a, a wiki bio on Mrs. Mangle from Neighbours, please? A player profile of Mrs. Mangle. And if the internet yeah, cannot stats. provide us some stats on Mrs. Mangle, some age, like what her go was, then the internet has let us all down. I mean, if I was to return to Neighbours, because I, I did do a stint on Neighbours, yes. of course. You remember, Will, I was uh, a villain of the year, I think, in 2008 when I played the uh, pyromaniac firefighter who uh, uh, terrorised Erinsborough. Um, so you know, we may have to... Uh, I don't know if they'll just like erase history. I'm not sure how. I'm sure a lot of actors have done Neighbours more than once. But, what uh, happened to that character? What were the consequences of that character's actions? Uh, so he got caught... Um, went to jail. Well, I'd never seen him go to jail. So the storyline ended with him getting caught. I think he, because he was in love with um, Steph, who is was at the time Toadie's girlfriend. Or, so he was dating. So Toadie and Steph had broken up. The firefighter, whose name I can't remember, <laughs> he comes into the picture. And so there's all this kind of like, there's a love triangle. There's some sexual tension going on because, you know, he's the new guy and, uh, he appears perfect on the surface, but then it turns out he's actually a pyromaniac. He's the one who's been starting all the fires in Erinsborough. So I believe that um, I get exposed as the guy, like they, you know, someone discovers petrol or matches or something in my car. <laughs> Whatever. I get caught in Ramsey Street, conveniently. <laughs> like, that's where the showdown happens. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm there in a, there's lots of other streets in Erinsborough. I probably have my own place, but no, no, I got caught on Ramsey Street. Chased Down by uh, Brett Tucker, whatever character Brett Tucker played. Um, Brett Tucker's a mate of ours, and he quite enjoyed that scene of having to chase me down and tackle me to the ground. I think he put a bit of extra, <laughs> bit of extra oomph into it. Um, and then I believe... Oh, because one of the fires I started killed a whole bunch of characters. It must have been a period of contract renewal at Neighbours mm. for free Media. <laughs> media. Because uh, Mr. Bad E Street style, I, I lit a fire and, and cleared out at least you know at least half a dozen guest cast and you know maybe one or two permanent cast members. I mean, I would love if that character 
became the character that every show used in that situation. <laughs> so yeah. if you're down at Home and Away or if you're down at some other show, Love My Way or something like that, suddenly your character uh, just comes into town and everybody's like, oh, shit, I probably should well, just agree to that new contract. I think the best one of those was, it was E Street. It wasn't Mr. Bad. He was a great character, but... Do you remember, did you watch East Street? Was that on one of your three channels in Hayfield? Uh, no, but I reckon maybe University might have crossed Caught over with East Street. And I reckon Mr. Bad might have been, I think might have been when I was early at university. Would that make sense? Yeah. Uh, no. Oh, maybe. I think it's like early 90s. No. Mm. Okay. Maybe but I did was, watch it at home. I saw there, it anyway. The Mr. Bad storyline was the one that I was pretty caught up in when it was East Street. Right. Yeah. There's a, there was a neighbour's... There was a, a an East Street character called Sonny Bennett who came in at the end of like season four and literally laid waste. Like, I don't know what his background, but he turned into like a serial killer and blew up a carload of characters, shot half a dozen others, stabbed like... And then I think it did turn out that East Street had, uh, was moving networks or, you know, production companies or whatever <laughs> they wanted. They didn't want to honour... Like the contracts of like half the cast. And so they just invented this character to come in and lay waste to them. Well, how about this, Will? Rather than it just being the same character who goes through, it's kind of like the crow. The character who sweeps into a soap to eliminate, it's like you become possessed by the spirit of the Sonny Bennett or whatever my firefighter character was. Like every soap opera can reach into the bottom drawer and like raise the kraken, essentially release this rape. <laughs> <laughs> out to the world to wipe out characters. Um, okay, so Mrs. Mangle, born in 1925. So that uh, suggests that... Well, my dad was born... My dad was born in 1928. So, yeah, conceivably, she could be my mum. She could have... If, if Mrs. Yeah. Mangle had, had a whole bunch okay, of kids... Okay, hang on. on. Just, um, I looked up Mr. Bad from East Street first. Uh, yeah. During the early part of the 1991 season. So that was, yeah, that was as I was off to university so that that, okay. that time he does work so i reckon i watched a fair bit of it at first year uni okay all right so mrs mangle here's a bio from uh, the wiki uh her name is nell she's very much a busy body she's interfering nosy and always gossiping she's frosty and old-fashioned as she does not like to be called by her first name she constantly spies on her neighbors and tells tales about them well, fuck it's checking out i am mrs mangle's son or grandson she insists she's a good Christian woman. No, that's not. She constantly moans and whines throughout her time in the serial. She's also been portrayed as fending off other characters if they try and be nice to her. It was the mixture of all these traits that allowed Nell to become one of the most hated soap characters of her time. In the Neighbours 20th Anniversary book, Nell is described as being the Randy Street gossip, the Queen Bee of the cul-de-sac, and her constant interfering in the affairs of her neighbours did not always endear her to the street. Upon her departure, behind-the-scenes scriptwriters decide to give Nell a pleasant exit plot, seeing Nell finally finding happiness. Uh, yeah, and she was born in 1925. So, a lot of that checks okay. out. All right, so her son was Joe Mangle. I remember this now. Mark Little played Joe Mangle. Who oh, must yeah, have been Mark her Little. Son, right? So yeah. the Australian comedian Mark yeah. Little, uh, who went to the UK, he played Joe Mangle. And so you must be Joe, probably Joe Mangle's kid. Yeah. Yeah, that would make sense. Mark Little would be, what, in his late 50s now? He'd be old enough to, um, yeah, to be your play, dad. Play I my like dad. This. Yeah, I'd, I'd have to dye my hair and maybe play a bit younger, shave or something like that. But we could, <laughs> I mean, if Sean Connery could play Harrison Ford's dad and they're only seven years apart, then... Uh, Mark Little can play my dad. Hang on, um, well, how old are you? You're 41, 40, 
42. So, yeah, yeah 42. Meaning a lot. Um, Mark, Mark Little is 60 years old. So that's fine. Okay. Has a baby young, 18 years yeah. old. Yeah, easy. Okay, so based on true events, I don't know what was happening in my neighbourhood last night, but I get the feeling there was a Fast and Furious-style car meet happening, an illegal... Ooh. If not an illegal street race, definitely some kind of gathering of uh, hotted up cars because for about half an hour, there was a non-stop procession of hotted up, fluoro, you know, UV lit, NOS charged cars zipping down towards the, towards the beach because there's a big car park, empty car park in the beach near me. Is there a chance... That this is just a symptom of the le- the, the sort of um, lessening the severe quarantine laws. Has there been mm. an announcement from the New South Wales government where they've said, look, you know, you can have 10 people at your house, you can have 20 people at a drag race. <laughs> this is where we're at now. We've flattened the curve. It is time to get your hot rods back together and go down cogging your car park. It was definitely, I mean, we mentioned last week, you know, the sort of easing and the response. And I think this is an escalation. I, I... I imagine just based on the sample size of the amount of people who would have been down in the car park last night that the disease is coming back. <laughs> the virus is coming back in a big way, uh, especially amongst the car community because it was insane. Like We were trying to watch a film and we couldn't because every like 30 seconds there was another vroom, vroom, vroom going down the road. And at, at, on the weekends, where I live it seems to be like, a, I assume it's a route uh, for people who, you know, want to ride their motorbikes. Because often you get, you know, packs of motorbike riders or guys in hotted up cars. And I think, you know, they do the coastal drive. The, if you go past where I live, there's not a lot of traffic lights. So you can get a good, you know, run up without having to sort of stop. Um, but this was something different. This was like, would have been, and I'm not exaggerating, it would have been close to 40 or 50 cars all heading down to the beach around about the same time. There's also a little bit of uh, an, well... A let's say dodgy, no dodgy. I don't know. There's an element in that suburb of like car people, and I mean maybe this is flavoured by the fact that our car got stolen from that street, yeah, exactly. outside your house. But yeah. uh, when we were trying to investigate the, the car being stolen, um, there seemed to be a bit of a uh, hot a hot pocket for uh, criminal uh, sort of, uh, you know, cars and bikes. And I imagine if they were going to set an Australian Fast and Furious, it might have been set in your street. Yeah, except it would be called the Fang in the Furious. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The Fang in it. uh, Yeah, I mean, these hot rodders, Will, these uh, yahoos in their hot rods. Um, So they were down there for a bit and there must have been some shit going down because that... An hour later, there was just fucking cop cars everywhere. <laughs> like, and not just cop cars, but like right police vans and fucking. And it was it was like Grand Theft Auto. Like you would just hear this like, boom, 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 and then you'd hear wee, 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 like police cars going after them. So, whatever was going on, it was it was loud. So, Jem by this stage it just is like, oh fuck, we can't watch a film this stuff. I'm gonna go to bed. So she goes to bed, but I stay up. And I'm just sitting at the window, Mrs. Mangle style, just looking out onto the street. Got a good vantage point. Just watching, you know, all these cars zipping by. I had one eye on the baby monitor because I'm like, in my head, I'm like, if one of these fuckers wakes my baby up, I don't give a shit. Like, I'm going down on the street. I've got a cricket bat under the bed. I'm going down on the street. I'm waiting for the next one to go by and just like slice that nos. 
and I'm going to throw my cricket bat through their windscreen. That's how it's going to go down. I don't give a fuck. I'll go to jail. You wake my baby up, you're going to jail. I think optimistically you'll go to jail. <laughs> I think more likely you'll be murdered in front of your family <laughs> in your own street, <laughs> and then they'll put your remains in the wrong bin. <laughs> So, um, you know, I'm, I'm like a vigilante. I'm perched. I'm perched on my windowsill waiting to leap into action at the next guy who fucking, you know, fires up the nos to wake my baby up. But that doesn't happen. Did you think also the other explanation, because these guys love cars. They mm. probably do love the Fast and the Furious franchise. Did you think there was a possibility of just going down and rationalizing with them going, hey, guys, I'm just at home with my family and we all know the most important thing in the world is family. Yeah. Well, Can you get them on that level? Yeah, well, I had a six-pack of Corona uh, in the fridge. Right. <laughs> we all know. There's one thing that brings family together. It's, it's Corona. Uh, there was an element of me that was thinking of doing that. I mean, look, impossible with the car guys because they were just zipping by too fast. That's why the cricket bat was the next best option. Mm. Um, <laughs> it's a big escalation between negotiation and throwing a cricket bat through the window. <laughs> Uh, so uh, there I am perched on the windowsill um, you know watching the action and uh, this group of teenage girls like it's like they it's like they exploded out of thin air they they night crawled it it was just a bamf and suddenly there was like 18 loud shrieking screaming teenage girls who I assume had just been down at the car park at the Fast and the Frally, Fast and the Frally, Fast and the Furious Rally, the the Fangin' and the Furious Rally. Um, And we're now up like, you know, half drunk on Goonbag and just screaming and being teenagers and stuff. So this is where a little Will appeared on my shoulder. Um, And a little Will with angel wings, uh, uh, smoking a little joint, (laughs) appeared on my, and was just like, hey, man. Appeared appeared from on high. Yeah. (laughs) Like, hey, man, like, don't be such a fucking narc, man. Like, they're just teenagers. You're a teenager once. Like, what's the problem? So I was like, okay, I'm not going to narc, but I am going to watch. Because they were being, like, so dumb. Like, just dumb teenagers, like, shrieking and laughing and, like, pushing things over. And, you know, but weirdly just sort of hovering around this one corner. The the corner opposite my apartment. They were just, like, hanging out in this corner and just screaming and stuff. And... I couldn't work out what they were doing at first because one by one, they would take it in turns. One of them would run out to the middle of the roundabout and then run back and then rejoin the group. And when that person rejoined the group, they would all do this kind of like dance. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Because there was still traffic going by. And so these girls are taking their own lives into their own hands, like running out in front of traffic, you know, and then one would run back and then doing this little dance. And it happened again and again and again. And then I sort of like paid a bit more attention and I realized they were making a fucking TikTok video. Like yep. there was music coming. Can see it coming a mile off. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's definitely a TikTok. People are doing something stupid and then dancing. 100% all I know about TikTok. That fits that description. But like seriously putting their lies in their own hands. At one stage, one of the girls whose turn it was to run out and press go on the... On the oh, fuck, how old am I sounding? Press go on the TikTok. <laughs> Guys, who's going to be in charge of pressing go on the TikTok? We're all going to do a TikTok, but somebody's going to press go. So the girl whose turn it was to press go on the TikTok, Mm. she runs out and this car... Dad, Iona says her first words, and they're just, Dad. (laughs) 
This girl runs out as a car is like coming up to the roundabout and the car kind of honks because she's standing in the middle of the road. And rather than like retreat, she stops in the middle of the road and then does like a booty dance in front of the car. You know, I guess because that's going to be on the, on the TikTok as well where all her friends are cheering mm. her on. So then I'm like, man, these girls are right under Iona's window and they're not going anywhere. They're just getting louder and louder. And the TikTok, like how many TikToks do you need to record? Like I could not... My uh, understanding of TikTok culture is not so refined, Will, that I could tell a difference between each one of these TikToks. That, it all looked the same to me. One would run over, press go on the TikTok, then the rest of them would all like do this dance and then they would reset and the, the whole thing would happen again. So I don't know if you, the TikTok counted on you doing more than one of these dances or if they're just trying to get the, the right TikTok or if each one was taking it turns to use their phone to do the TikTok. But whatever it was, it was taking fucking ages. And then, that would have been a great way to get into it. You could have just wandered down and gone, guys, I don't want to cause any trouble here. It's me, Mr. Mangle. Uh, and I don't want to cause any trouble here. I notice you put nothing in my bins. We don't have an issue at this yeah. point. However, I just have a couple of questions. Firstly, the person who's pressing go on the TikTok, who, how did you decide who that was? Secondly, are you trying to get the same TikTok? Are these the different takes of the TikTok? Are these TikTok takes? Or... Uh, are you doing separate TikToks and will this be a series of TikToks or are you each going to replicate the TikTok in your own TikTok environment? I just have a series of TikTok related questions. Well, it's not a million miles from where my mind was at because I'm watching this go on and in my head I'm like, all right, at some stage, because I know Jem was kind of getting, Jem at one stage with the, with the, the fanging and the furious wanted to call the cops because she's like, they're so fucking loud. And they're going to wake the baby up and maybe they're going to kill someone because they're driving so fast. And I, I, I echoed a bit of Willis. And like, they're my priorities, definitely in that order. <laughs> and so I, you know, I tried to do, use a bit of Will psychology on Jim. I was like, hey, you know, look, they're young people and it's not that bad. And, you know, we, this is the area we live in and, you know, let's not encroach and blah, blah, blah. So Jim went to bed. But then I was like, oh, if these girls wake Jim up, then she's going to... Be- they may be fanging it, but she's the one who's going to be furious. <laughs> so I was like, I may need to kind of mitigate this before it gets any louder. But as I'm sort of working out, oh, can I be the cool guy who goes down and, you know, I'll put my cap on backwards and I'll be like, hey, kids, I was young once. Hey, just, you know, keep it quiet or whatever. Another car pulls up. Maybe you're just like, hey, guys, so you so you're doing some pretty rad TikToks <laughs> down on the uh, roundabout. But I noticed there was always someone who had to press go on the TikTok. Would you like me to press go on your TikTok for you? That's when they mace me and call the police. <laughs> hey, guys, I'm cool too. I have a, I have a MySpace and all that. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Who's this? Your top eight friends? Where's Tom? Yeah, have you guys been, list- you guys been listening to some uh, Limp Biscuit on Napster? <laughs> Uh, so as I was sort of ruminating about that, another super hotted up like Nissan Pulsar with the, you know, the, the fluoro lights pulls up, but something weird is happening. Like my guess is creepy dudes. I think it's creepy dudes in a car, just judging by the way they sort of pull up alongside these girls and the girl's reaction and the way they were just sort of hovering, you know, just creepy dudes rolling around in a car being creepy. I mean, it's been a tough time for creepy dudes. Rolling around empty yeah. streets, no one to harass. Yeah. So in my head, I'm like, oh shit, now my priorities change to like, okay, I should probably take down the number plate of this creepy car mm. just in case. Good. So Good. Mrs. Mangle Classic style. Mangle. <laughs> Put it on your I Mangle did. list. I wrote down their number plate and I'm keeping an eye on them and I'm like, 
Well, what's you know? I mean, look, if they're being creeps, they're being creeps. Like, you know, as long as as long as no lines across. But then, I see flashes coming from the car. Now, I don't know if the dudes had like a torch and we're just like flashing it in the girls' faces, or a camera and we're taking photos of the girls. But something weird was going on, like bright flashing lights, and I'm like. Oh, that seems weird. I'm wondering how I should call the police now. Like, is it illegal to take photo of people on the, on the street? Like, can you do that? I mean, they're teenage girls. They didn't seem, you know, they're not consenting, but at the same place or in a public space. I don't know. It was weird. But then the car drove off. The girls didn't seem to be too bothered by it. I mean, I don't know what happened. Maybe it was a torch. Maybe they were doing some kind of... But maybe it was another fucking TikTok. For all I know, the guys in the car were doing a TikTok as well. They had a flash on their phone and they were like, TikTok and the girl. Who fucking... Maybe the cops were doing a TikTok. Maybe it was a massive TikTok meetup. Where they were all okay. filming like a, you know, a TikTok in four parts from four different perspectives. Or do you think it could have been undercover cops? Maybe that's what they were doing. Because they, it, the way they flashed the light in the girl's face was like the way cops will flash a, a flashlight in your face, you know, when they rock up to something. It did have that kind of feel. Or could it have been no. undercover TikTokers? Undercover TikToks. <laughs> There's people surreptitiously filming TikToks. I might, look, for all I know about fucking TikTok, it could have been. But though, so anyway, that car goes, and then the girls go back to scre- screaming and doing their own TikToks and stuff. And then I'm like, okay, that's it. It's been like half an hour of this. I'm just going to go down, and I'm not going to be a narc about it. I'm just going to be like, hey, guys, look, you've had your fun. <laughs> My daughter's asleep. I've got to get, get up tomorrow morning and make banana cakes. I'd really appreciate it if you could move on. So you're going to be a narc? That's not a narc, man. That that's is pretty narc. What's narky about that? Narky shut would, down shut down your fun. I've got to get up early and make something that will make you never want to be an adult. <laughs> <laughs> it's politely asking them to move on. It's not narking is more like calling the cops on them or yelling at them or you know, like No, I agree. Throwing you, a cricket, you, throwing a cricket back the right through thing. their windscreen. <laughs> You've been a cool guy, open palms, going yeah. down like hey, 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 hey. I was yeah. young once too, guys. Yeah. All I'm saying is there's a really great cave around here where you can smoke some bongs. I'll give you some directions to that. Yeah, I'll give you some weed and a bong and some directions. Now get the fuck out of here. Uh, well, doesn't matter. All that went out the window by a simple fact that they saw me, Will. <laughs> like oh. they saw me. Because I'm watching from our top floor apartment and I'm watching this whole thing unfold. And I've, been, I've gone through the highs and lows of the, the TikToks and the, and the car pulling up and the weird flashes of light and stuff. So I've been on this journey. And I felt like, okay, I've observed them long enough now that I feel like I've strategically assessed who I'm talking to. I'll be able to go down. And they're just teenage kids. They're probably hepped up on a bit of goon bag. Won't be hard for me to go down and just be like, hey, guys, you know, sorry, to, you had a good night, but maybe just, you know, take your fun to the park or whatever. Um, but that all went out the window when they spotted me. One of them looked up and saw me, the sole person on the street at their window, staring out creepily, Mr. Mangle style. And so she looked up and then told her friends and then they all looked up at me and then they all started like waving and yelling stuff out and jeering at me. And it was so intimidating. <laughs> like I backed away from the window. Like first thing I did was slink down from the window. It was like they saw me. I slunk down from the window and then I was like, shit, like what do I do now? Then I was like, no, come on. Like you're 42 years old. They're a bunch of kids. Like man up. So then I sat back up at the window and then they're waving and I couldn't quite make out what they were yelling at. They're yelling out young people stuff. I couldn't quite. My, it's like that uh, Yanni thing. You know, some people hear words. Teenagers yell stuff out. I don't know what it means. And so then they're waving at me and I'm like, 
well, I can't go down now. This is too weird. This is too weird. So I turned the light off <laughs> in the living room and I slunk off to bed and lay in bed and listened to them yell for another hour. Because <laughs> I felt like I'd lost the element of surprise. I felt like if I come down now, they've got the upper hand. They spotted me. They weren't intimidated. They didn't back down. So what am I going to do now if I go onto the street? And, I'm not, and, I, and I was determined not to go down and be narky. Like I couldn't go down and, you know, with kid gloves and be like, oh, hey guys, move on. Because they were already mocking me. They'd already identified me and were mocking me. Ironically, you could have gone down with kid gloves because your hands are small enough to fit them. But uh, here's what I would say. I was watching uh, The Outsider. Have you heard of The Outsider? It's a new TV series. It's based on a Stephen King thing. It has Jason Bateman and uh, um, anyway, a whole lot of cool people in it. Uh, Ben Mendelsohn. Aussie Ben Mendelsohn. Ben Mendelsohn, yeah. He's great, Ben Mendelsohn. And uh, Dana Reed um, was the director of the last episode. I did not know whether it was the Australian Dana Reed, but it could possibly be be the Australian Dana Reed, who was an excellent director. Um, So, anyway, cool series based on a Stephen King. But there's this one moment where this uh, uh, child, very, you know, classic horror trope. Yeah, a mm. child's been visited by something creepy and then she's having to, you know, tell about this like man who mysteriously appeared and the message from the man and whatever. And then they have this moment around the psychology of how you deal with a child who's had a scary nightmare. And if you tell them something oh. like ghosts aren't true or whatever, that doesn't really help. But if you can come up with some other practical thing. So, for example, the one of the examples they use is... Uh, that um, someone saw the movie The Leprechaun. A kid was at a party, saw the movie The Leprechaun, came home terrified about the idea of leprechauns, and Dad just went with the simple, uh, yes, leprechauns are definitely real, but the great news is that they're not allowed to leave Ireland, so you're fine, you'll be safe, right? So to a kid in their head, you've acknowledged the thing that they are worried about. You haven't sort of said, no, it's just not true, but you've then given them some prism within which they can be safe. The other option is you just keep answering their questions until they get bored of talking about it rather than the other way around. Is there any chance you could have gone with that option? Because there's nothing that's going to spoil a cool kid's night out than some older guy coming down and just trying to join in. We've all been in that situation where the spoiler comes Mm. in and then suddenly the thing that was really fun isn't fun anymore because it's like when, you know, when your mum joined Facebook, Facebook was no longer cool anymore. Then could you have done the equivalent of that to that party? Just gone down and uncooled it with your very presence. Just asked them too many questions, tried to join in in a really fun way (sighs) until they got bored and moved away. It's too close to being a toolie. You know what I mean? Like that is the issue. Uh, you know that's why you get very few uh, male teachers in in all, fe- all female high schools and stuff. Like there is just that people will assume the worst. I didn't <laughs> want to be the forty two year old guy. Like, can you imagine if someone we're friends with, someone we knew, drove past like eleven o'clock last night? And they see a group of teenage girls and Charlie. Pretty sure I saw Charlie on a roundabout on doing a corner. TikTok. <laughs> you know what? I think that would work. If rather than going down and boring them into submission, if I had just enthusiastically thrown myself into the TikTok, like it's kind of the Muhammad Ali thing of, you know, when he fought Joe uh, Joe Lewis, he acted so fucking crazy that there was just part of Joe Lewis that was like, oh my God, is this fucking guy like, who am I getting in the ring with? So if I'd just gone down, if they just turned around, 
during one of their TikToks. And then there's this 42-year-old guy like shucking and jiving and stuff. And, you know, it's my turn. I'll run out and I'll press go on the TikTok. <laughs> like if I'd just done that. Because the creepy guys in the car with the flashlight didn't deter them. Like, you know, this car pulled up, you know, just hovered on the road for a couple of minutes and was obviously asking weird things or being just being generally creepy. And that didn't scare them. So I think you'd have to kick it up a notch. It'd have to be something really fucking outrageous. Yeah, but you've got the advantage of like, they know you live there as opposed to the guys Mm. in the car who can move on. You actually live there. So they wave at you. You come down and ask to join in on their TikTok. I say they move on. Yeah. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Yeah, it was, there was a sense last night that uh, uh, my feeling is that teenagers are fed up <laughs> with quarantine. Teenagers, they've had a gutful. There was just so many groups of them roaming around last night in larger than 10 packs. I think they're just like, fuck this shit. This is an old person's disease. Well... I, when you're young, you th- feel like you're invincible. That's why, you know, so many young people make, you know, our- ourselves included, make terribly risky choices at that age. Your brain just isn't formed properly and you don't really understand the real life risks of things. So there's partly that, but there's partly, I imagine for teenagers in particular, like teenagers are where you're going out and establishing who you are outside your mm. family group. And then to be thrust like some of that is done at school, some of it is done outside school, some of it's done at sport and your hobbies and all these mm. sort of things. And suddenly all those things have gone away. So in that prime time where you're meant to be able to go leave mum and dad at home and the rest of the family and go out and really define who it is to be me, um, you know, separate to that, they've had all that taken away from them. So I imagine they probably feel it as acutely as any other yeah, group. Yeah, and it's thought. not only that, but like all the... Um places that uh, teens gather on mass parks beaches all that kind of stuff have been shut down mm. you know like it's not it's not like they can sneak off anywhere um so look i mean i'm sure there's not teenagers driving those cars they would all be 18 plus but there would be a fairly in my in the theater of my mind will those cars were all down in the car park and there was a crowd of teenagers watching them do burnouts or whatever judging by the amount of cop cars that were very promptly sent down there. I think there was some kind of like, you know, let's uh, let's just fuck shit up. <laughs> that was what was going on. Don't know if it was violence necessarily, but just like, let's just go out and fucking burn some rubber. Is there any chance that the girls on the roundabout doing their TikToks recognised no. you? Because if they're teenage girls, they could definitely have been watching Home and Away while you were on Home and Away. <clears throat> I was too far. I mean, there's no, the distance between, I was backlit. In my living room, you know, top floor apartment. There was no way. And look at me. Look at what you're looking at now. This does not look like the guy who was on Home and Away. This looks like the guy who would ironically remix the Home and Away theme <laughs> into <laughs> some kind of dance track. Um, why do you have a cricket bat? Uh, I don't know. It's just, I, it's an old grey Nichols. It was my childhood cricket bat and I'd have sentimental attachment. And then I was like, well, I'll just, just in case I need to hit someone with it, I'll just keep it under my bed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Were you a good enough batsman when you played cricket to think that you would actually hit what you were trying to hit if you went out there in public to hit something with it? Um, oh, well, I did win, uh, the, uh, under 12s, under 12 B's batting award. Um, so in the second best team in my primary school, 
<laughs> I was the best batsman. Uh, I was an okay batsman. I mean, my problem is I'm a left-hander, but two-handed sports like golf and cricket, I play as a right-hander because uh-huh. I guess every coach that ever showed me how to do it was a right-hander and just assumed, didn't bother to ask if I was left or right-handed. So I'm actually... my my Traditionally, what they say is, you know, your stronger hand should be at the back for power, but mine is not. It's my, my, my right hand. So... I don't think I could cave someone's skull in with enough force, but I could. I think my accuracy is pretty good. I think my 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 accuracy, and my control, because my guiding hand is my dominant hand. Well, there was a theory going around in world cricket for a while, and it had some pretty good evidence to back it up that that was actually the correct way to do it because the dominant batsman often uh, batted opposite to what they threw. Is that right? So the idea that yeah, so the idea that in, instead of your backhand being your dominant hand, it should be your front hand because that's the one that holds the bat the longest. So I, I should have been Australia's best batsman. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Based on all the evidence I have right now, you should have been Australia's best batsman. I watched an amazing. Is it? Go on. Is there a fame? Is there a famous cricketer who batted like that? Is there someone you can name who uh, batted opposite to the? Who were famous left-handed batsmen? Mark Warwick's uh, left-handed. Brian Lara, I think. Uh, it was a right-handed throw and a left-handed batsman. Batson, really? Yeah. Um, but there's, right. a, there's a whole bunch of them. I think David Warner might be a right-handed uh, throw and a left-handed batsman. There's, yeah. there's definitely a, a, a whole bunch that bat right. that way. My dad bowled right-hand and batted left-hand. And how was he as a batsman? Yeah, Terrible. Well, he was a really good cricketer in general. Right. Didn't play for Australia, though. So I suppose loser. Not that good. Um, hey, I watched this amazing cricket documentary the other day. Is that um, the one on Amazon? Called, no, called oh. Fire in Babylon, it's called. Oh. And it was a documentary made, I guess, I don't know how long ago, but it was. it's about the West Indies cricket team and the establishment and then dominance of the West Indies cricket team and how they lay claim really. I think they were unbeaten for nearly 15 years. The West, right. As in like didn't lose a series for 15 years. It's it's almost unparalleled in world sport. But what we'd never really seen before, well, what I'd never really seen before was the story from their perspective and how much of it was about how much of their team was about fighting racial injustice and establishing, you know, right. an arena for the black man and how much that they'd had to um, deal with. So this is the Cl- the Clive Lloyd, Viv Richards, Joel Garner dominant period, yeah. right? Awesome. And it tells the story of that entire, the establishment of it. So when they went from a bit of a Calypso cl- cricket laughing stock to becoming the most dominant team in the world. And of course, Australia plays a very big part in that because it turns out, Charlie, when you watch this documentary, we're the bad guys. <laughs> Oh really? What? Not well, like racist bad guys? It, t- just it bad turned guys? out the entire success was forged on the idea that they came out to Australia for this test series and were so badly humiliated, like both on the field but also just racially and etc. By not oh, no. only the players but the you know, crowds as well, and that and the newspapers that this just became their inciting incident that they were like it was their Bruce Wayne's parents being shot in an alleyway was this tour of Australia when the right. West Indies so, decided to become Batman so Australia was the Joe Chill yeah. uh, in this scenario <laughs> yeah that sounds good I, I need something to fill uh, I finished the last dance so I need something to fill my um, uh, my sports documentary gap um, I listened to your mate, uh, Howie, Mark Howard, uh, did an interview with Luke Longley. It's brilliant. So when uh, when that first came out, that Luke Longley interview on the Howie Games, that was the one that I 
most often would recommend to people if they hadn't listened to the podcast before. I said, have a listen to the Luke Longley one because it is Luke Longley is incredible on that podcast, but Howie and Luke are amazing together. Yeah, he's so disarming. Like, because a lot of people, um, I've seen a lot of uh, stuff online about people who feel like, well, where's Luke Longley? And I know the directors have come out and said, oh, you know, we couldn't. It's a weird thing. You see the director of that documentary said, oh, it was too expensive to fly out to Perth to interview him. And it's like, I mean, I, I work in production. You don't have to fucking fly out to Perth. There's heaps of camera crews in Australia. Like, it would not have cost anything for them to set up like a, a, a day of shooting with Luke Longley. But beside the point, for people who feel like they're missing that perspective, and I think if you're an Australian, it is really fascinating to hear what it would have been like to be part of that team. And it's such a great interview. And he's so disarming. And I don't think I've... Because I was trying to think before I listened to that interview, have I? would I even know what Luke Longley sounds like? Have I ever heard him interviewed before? And I, I could not think of anything prior to that. So that was like my first impression of him. It just starts with him talking about the fact that he's like staying at his daughter's place and like sleeping in her bed or whatever. And I'm like, yes, you must be worth like <laughs> $200 million dollars or something ridiculous like that. And you, I just loved everything about it. I Googled it because I, I thought the same thing. Like apparently according to, you know, the internet, he's worth about $40 million, but he's sleeping <laughs> in his daughter's place in a share house in Melbourne where they can't afford to have the heating on. But what I loved about it was... It was that, I think when Australians, you know, Australians are very funny with their athletes, the way we hero worship our athletes and um, for better or worse, I think that Luke Longley presents exactly how Australians like their athletes to be, which is humble. He never sort of talked about himself being any, but by the same token, was you know, you could sense that he was very proud of what he'd done and he, he knew he was a good player and good enough to be in that team, but by no means sort of set himself up as being, being the greatest, but what a story like i don't know how much of it was was he's laying it on a bit thick but it sort of just sounded like he didn't really want to be a professional basketballer like he was enormous and could play enough but just kept sort of falling into these opportunities and then it wasn't until he got to the university of new mexico that he's like okay i need to take this seriously and then you know hit the gym and all that kind of stuff but prior to that point was like Oh yeah, I guess I'll just I'll do this thing because I want to go to university. I want to travel, but also like just being that super tall, it immediately opens that up for you. I mean, I've spoken before about the fact that I was quite a dominant, you know, like from about the age of twelve to about the age of fifteen, I was like a really dominant junior sports person, and it was all because I had a growth spurt at twelve, and until about age fifteen, when everybody else caught up to me in height, I was just bigger than everybody else, and so you just keep pick for things. Like I played center in the basketball team and I played, you know, ruck in the footy and those jobs just immediately go to somebody who's really tall. And if there just been another tall guy come along, I immediately would have lost those jobs to that taller guy as I did when people got taller. Well, that's, and he, he acknowledges that, you know, he just sort of talks about the fact that, you know, he didn't have the skill set or like the competitive nature of, of half that team, but he was big and could wrestle and could take on like really big guys. Like hearing him talk about playing on Shaq, it's like, it makes you realize how big Shaq must be. If he talks about, you know, he was the first player that I, I played against that I couldn't physically dominate. It's like, you're seven foot two and 130 kilos. I imagine the only thing that you can dominate is like a pachyderm or a whale. Michael Jordan is only seven centimetres taller than I am. Right. So you could have been Michael Jordan. Is that what you're saying? Feels like if I'd grown another seven centimetres, I could have been Michael Jordan is what I'm saying. 
It was interesting though, um, hearing him talk about Jordan and a lot, I can't remember the exact quotes, but it's along the lines of like, you know, we never really had a friendly conversation. It was always like, he was just a taskmaster and all that kind of stuff. But then he sort of finished the interview by saying, oh yeah, you know, we, uh, we send each other texts occasionally or I give him a call. And, and so I couldn't quite work out, oh, was Jordan just a prick in that period of time with all going for championships or is he just like that the whole time? I mean, have you seen there's been a bit of a backlash against the documentary, The Last Dance, already? Like, um, uh, 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 Cartwright, no, um, Horace Grant and a few other players have come out and there's a rumour that Scotty Pippen wasn't happy with the way he was portrayed and Michael Jordan had final cut on on the documentary. And I've sort of read all this stuff and I'm like, I don't think that the documentary is particularly fav- favourable to Michael Jordan. I think it's incredibly balanced. It shows him to be this dominant player and just, you know, incredible. But I didn't come away from it going, this guy's amazing and, and he's the Messiah. I think he came out of it with this really complicated portrayal of someone who is driven like no one else to, to succeed. I would say that it's not impartial, but I would say this is Michael Jordan's take on this time. So you get to hear his version of the stories around, you know, the pizza, around Scotty Pippen, around Horace Grant, like Cartwright. You get his perspective, but what they have managed to do is not whitewash his perspective. So this is the story told from his perspective, but you still get a sense that it's not told like he's the hero of every story. And I think that Mm. in itself is how it should be viewed. Here's Michael Jordan's take on that era, but they were good enough that they didn't make it a completely, you know, falsified, unflattering take on, uh, sorry, you know, completely flattering take on Michael Jordan. Flattering. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the, the the last line of the documentary, well, one of the last lines to me sort of sums up what it was sort of getting about with him, which is where he talks about, you know, the ba- the team gets disbanded after that um, sixth championship. And he was like, if they just offered us one more year, you know, just one more year, everyone would have taken it. And I reckon we could have won a seventh. And I'm like, that's his curse. Mm. That is his curse is that he's so driven to success. He just has an inability to let go. Like the fact that it's now 20 years later or however many years later, still eating away at him. Like, but that's what drives him to be so successful, but that has to be like a, 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 like a shit thing to live with as well. Well, it's certainly what he believes drives him to be super successful, right? So the evidence is there that he was super successful and that's how he behaved. Now, there have been other people who haven't behaved like that and have also been super successful. And you could still say maybe he would have been super successful without that. But there's this theme throughout his entire life of like his dad hanging shit on him because he wasn't as good as his brothers. And then from then on, all he wanted to do was prove himself better than everybody else. And he says it. He says, you know, all those people who criticised me, they didn't win anything, you know. And that's mm. that's what it's about for him at the end of the day was the idea that his job was to win games of basketball and he won, like, I mean, you know, he won six championships and he won all those MVPs and, you know, he played the game at the highest level. But, it's, I mean, we've all worked with people who possess those, you know, trait, like similar traits, that personality thing of like winning at all costs or, you know, they, they don't give a fuck how they come across, how they sound, you know, how they treat you. As long as they get the job done, they're willing to come and apologize and shake your hand afterwards or whatever. But, and I'm always like, whenever I encountered those kind of personalities, cause I'm, I'm someone who believes that you don't need to be an asshole to get what you want. I believe that there is a way you can be respectful and, and, and still, 
you know, gold driven, all that kind of stuff. Mm. Me too. And that's why we're losers. That's why we're not Michael Jordan. (laughs) Well, I do wonder that because, I mean, it's often, especially in our industry, you know, you'll meet someone who's just a fucking asshole, super successful, just a fucking asshole. And people seem to make allowances for that. Like I remember when I first started like, um, you know, getting into this business and especially, uh, you know, when Michael and Charlie Pickering started getting into comedy and I would go out and meet comedians. I'm like, that guy's a fucking prick. (laughs) He's super successful, but he's a real prick. But everyone would always kind of like, make a um there'd, there'd always be a, a, a make allowances for that to be like oh well you know that's just the way he is you know and i'm like well i don't think it i don't think it is the way it has to be i don't think that your work is so precious that you need to be a fucking asshole and not be able to like look someone in the eye or shake their hand or just be civil but you know that seems to be a, a this idea that genius um or, or or exceptionalism means that you then have to forego uh, a basic courtesy manners things like that i just i've never really subscribed to that i think people unless you are have a, a like an acknowledged diagnosed like mental illness or, or something like that which it makes it um, difficult for you to interact with people normally often i think you're just getting away with being a prick and because you're very good at that thing that you've chosen to do be it sport or comedy or you know mu- music or whatever it is people are like oh well we don't want to disrupt this other thing that we like so we'll allow that bad behavior to continue but it, 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 another argument could be made using my i agree with you completely and my attitude's always been that i've never been good enough to be a prick i said you've got to you've got to be twice as good to be a prick as well you know like i just have never been yeah. that good and i got some great advice from ted robinson that i bring up all the time where he said it's everybody's day at work so the makeup person mm-hmm. and the camera person and everybody's involved in putting it on it's their day at work as well and so you can't just see it through your eyes when they go home and they talk to their partner about how their day was you can contribute to mm-hmm. that being either a positive thing or a negative thing however When you're talking about Michael Jordan, like you've got someone like a Luke Longley, maybe you could make the argument that with someone like a Luke Longley, who is definitely a competitor, but, you know, never had that burning desire to win at all costs and be the greatest basketballer of all time. Maybe the best is only brought out of somebody like that by having that other person in the team who is going to drive them to standards that they wouldn't necessarily drive themselves to. And, you know, maybe only Dennis Rodman can work in a team that has a Michael Jordan because you need somebody who is so incredibly dominant to be able to manage those sort of personalities. I think definitely in that specific environment. Okay, we're at work now. So sure, I think all all bets are off. Now, if you need to motivate that person by being a fucking hard ass, but then, I mean, the Dennis Rodman's a really interesting example because they realized the way to get the best out of Dennis Rodman was to let Dennis be Dennis, you know? He had to kind of go blow off some steam and disappear for 48 hours at a time. He would still come and you know perform when he needed to but he, you couldn't treat him the same way as a Luke Longley I'm talking more about adopting that persona or that worldview like Longley in that Mark Howard interview I think he encapsulates it perfectly which is you know he's like if you are a professional athlete you know the reason you are getting paid so well and the reason you are so successful is because of the crowds and the fans and he's gone, I don't subscribe to the fact that if someone comes up and wants an autograph or whatever, that you are doing them a favor by, you know, giving them five minutes or posing for that photograph. That is your job. That is your job description. That is the only reason why you're here and you're getting paid so well is because of these people. I mean, there's a guy that... We... I mean, it's a bit easier to say when you're Luke Longley and it's 15 minutes of your day as opposed to Michael yeah. Jordan where it would be 15 hours of every day if you gave everybody... 
an autograph he wanted one. There's a, there's a guy we don't talk about very much in this show, um, Dwayne Johnson, but I uh, was watching one of his videos on IGTV the other day where he did a very similar kind of... He does his Q&A sessions now, but he talked about how he deals with fame. And it was exactly that same thing. He told a story about when he was starting to blow up in wrestling and being out for dinner with his wife and someone coming over and asking him for a photo and him sort of not blowing up at them, but just blowing them off and seeing how, how embarrassed and, and, and regretful the people were that they came over. And he, he and his wife then sort of broke it down. They, they, they went through what had happened and his wife said, similar to Ted Robinson was like, well, look, you know, you're having this meal, but for those people, they've seen, you know, the biggest star they've ever seen. They're probably huge wrestling fans. It may be an inc minor inconvenience to you, but this could be the greatest night of their lives. And so The Rock was saying that's now then being his attitude from then on as well. Look, if I'm lucky enough to be in this position, of course, within reason, you know, you don't want people knocking on the cubicle door or anything like that while you're in the bathroom. <laughs> Although I would love to do that and say, Rock, Rock, I can smell what you're cooking. <laughs> Uh, should we get to the mailbag, Will? Yes, let's do that. Um, we had a lot of correspondence about universal medicine. Um, mm. Fair to say, uh, not popular amongst those uh, who have been exposed to them. Uh, we've had a lot of people write in. I didn't want to read this entire letter because it, it gets pretty icky. Uh, this person, um, Aggie, has some experience with universal uh, medicine. Um, basically says here that they had a work co colleague who was in universal medicine um, and said, uh, fuck me, working with a cult member is really weird. My colleague has some super strange stuff that she says, mostly quoting Surge, and we all have to act like it's normal. She once cornered me in the kitchen to invite me to a UM event to fix my very serious reproductive diseases. I have two. Uh, so, lucky, so lucky I can't stand the idea of having kids. Right after I had surgery, apparently... I would love Serge and his vibes. It was everything you'd think being approached by a cult member would be. Her voice became light and weird. You've had some surgery, but now you need some surgery. surgery. <laughs> she had a creepy smile. Her eyes seemed odd. Um, but then again, it's Lismore, so she might have just been stoned. My colleague broke up with their partner and has been married to one of Serge's inner circle. And apparently this is really common amongst them, the target women and alienated the partners. Uh, apparently today, tonight, did a trashy expose in them last year. And on their horrible views on disability, a lot of his followers actually work in disability. There are some also working in the New South Wales police force. So that's good news. <laughs> Isn't that great? That's what you want to hear. Oh, boy. Uh, they also, she said that not to worry about them targeting us because they are not allowed to listen to anything that isn't approved by Surge. Um, oh, okay. That's good. Yeah, that's really good. <laughs> uh, it's after, like Oprah's book club, basically, for cult members. After we recorded the episode, I'm like, I'm thinking about Once Upon, once upon a Time in Hollywood. And I'm like, oh my God, have <laughs> we just brought hellfire on us? I mean, there was a part of me that was like... Not only have we uh, picked a fight with a cult, but I live near that cult. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was fine. I just have to worry about the fanging and the furious. Uh, Jack writes in, uh, Will's wheelie bin troubles. Good morning, trendsetters. Just listening. Oh, good morning, trendsetters. Is that a, that's not a Shane Bourne, is it? No, he was thrill. Ah, uh, okay. Thrill seekers. Thrill seekers. Shane Bourne. Thrill seekers. Good morning, trendsetters. Just listening to your latest podcast this morning when I noted Will complaining about his recycle bin always being too full now with the alcohol bottles. I noticed a similar situation a month ago and found a neat little workaround. Mm -hmm. 
As you're more than likely aware, the majority of alcohol is available in cans these days. Cans are also much more easily recycled, four times less energy consumption, six times more reusable uh, recycling. And it can be a great way to get three sheets to the wind while being able to gloat to all your friends. You're pretty much working for the Sea Shepherd. You can also buy a small can crusher off eBay for 25 bucks, and Bunnings also sells them. This allows you to absolutely maximize your bin space beyond your wildest dreams without having to hesitate about your six-carton-a-week habit. Alternatively, as cans only have a 0.2-millimeter wall, and as Will now lives on a bit of land, they can easily be thrown into a fire where they atomize over time if left crushed, or if crushed, they will slowly build up a block of melted aluminium in the base of your fire pit, which you can then take to a scrapyard if you're feeling really thrifty. You can also look to buy a glass bottle crusher. However, having previously worked in hospitality, these are just all-round horrible ideas as they spend the majority of the time blocked and having to be manually cleared, and the glass they crush leaves uh, your bin unusable to be moved due to the weight density. Love this show. Keep up the good work, guys. What do you reckon about well, that? We'll switch to cans. I'm glad that the feedback wasn't you should dr- you should just drink less. The feedback <laughs> was, here, here's, here's some workarounds. Start drinking your wine out of a can. <laughs> more advice for you, Will. This is from Lachlan. Uh, hey, Will and Charlie. Just listening to Will talk about his challenges collecting cane toads, and it reminded mm. me of a regular event from my childhood. Looking back- Cane toads are gone, by the way, at the moment. It's been like oh. weeks cane toad-free since. I, I feel like I've set a warning through the cane toad community. They realize yeah, right. there is a new sheriff in town. They've heard about the spate of death, and they're staying away at the moment. Yeah, that, that means they're just going to pull their resources and hire some uh, Yojimbo mercenary to come in and take you out. <laughs> I mean, so I've pissed off the cane toads. I've pissed off the cult. Universal medicine. Yeah. I'm making I'm making enemies all over the place. Uh, my mate's dad used to run cane toad races at the local pub on Australia Day, mm-hmm. auctioning the toads off with a different prize for the winner. The night before, the three kids from their family would invite some friends over and we would go out and catch the toads. It was a bit of fun heading out into the suburbs with our torches looking for them. We would just grab them in our bare hands and chuck them into a bucket. Sort of become poisonous a toads. Children what? collecting poisonous toads in their <laughs> hands. Australia. It sort of became a competition. Who could get the most and the biggest? When they were home, we would tie different coloured ribbons to their legs so they could be identified in the race. Looking back now, the whole operation is pretty fucking outrageous. What <laughs> fuck things did you guys get up to in your childhood that seemed normal at the time? Um, I went to uh, church. <laughs> I was raised Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> Looking back, that was pretty fucked up. <laughs> Um, Um, A lot of, uh, in the country, a lot of just being transported in the back of a ute without any sort of strapping or being tied down in any way. Uh, That's from Kelly. Hey, Tofop. Here's another tantalizing Tofop tidbit. I recently watched a talk by game designer and future forecaster Jane McGonigal, who described the little game you can play to have to think about the future with the relatively recent mention of visionaries and constant talk about our future AI overlords. I thought you might have some fun with it. Here's how it goes. Step one, pick a random thing, an object, a topic, anything. Anything. Um, Bananas. Describe the top three true facts about that object. Do this before looking at step three. I'm putting a gap here between step two and step three because as soon as I tell you not to look at step three, that's exactly what you'll do. Okay, give me top three facts about bananas. Um, They uh, have yellow skin. They um, uh, often wear pajamas. (laughs) <laughs> and uh, they are used in the saddest version of pancakes. Okay, All those right. are my three things. Okay, make three facts that are now the complete opposite of those true facts. 
Okay. They they have um what's the opposite of yellow? Black. They have black skin. Yeah. Um they have uh they don't wear pajamas. <laughs> they nude. They're constantly They're they sleep nude. in the nude. They sleep in the nude and they make great pancakes. Not sad at all. Uh, final step. Describe the reasons why your alternative facts are true in the future. That's it. Discuss. Oh, Lots okay. So, okay. Right. Yeah, no, that makes sense. So yep. based on this podcast and your pancake recipe, people start eating banana cakes and they become the most popular version of pancakes. That one's done. Uh, the bananas in pajamas now sleep in the nude because it's not a children's show; it's an adult show. Because all the kids who grew up watching bananas in pajamas now the want to watch uh, what the bananas are up to as adults, and they're black because I don't know you left them out of the fridge for too long, and they went they went black. They're good for well, banana bread. Cu- it's about cultural diversity these days. You know, we want it more. Oh yeah, good point. Yeah, now they're they're, they're all different colours. Colors, the United Colors of b- Banana Benetton. Bananaton. <laughs> Bananaton. Banana the, the United Colors of Bananaton. Dan writes in, The Toaster Project. Hi, Tofop. Long-time listener. First-time Tofop respondent here. Just finished reading the utterly fascinating book, The Toaster Project, by Thomas Thwaites, which details a British bloke's truly epic journey to create a humble toaster built entirely from scratch. This included travelling to an actual mine site to dig up copper and other metals for electric components and even manufacturing his own plastic, which he attempted to make from crude oil. The task became even more difficult when he realised he needed to travel afar to obtain mica, a mineral like slate, to fashion his own heating element. The whole book shows how far advanced industrialization has become with even the most basic home appliances. It also shows ultimately how wasteful we have become with our planet's natural resources. The book is well worth a read on Google Thomas or Google Thomas's TED talk about this project. Anyways, with Doomsday knocking at the door, I was wondering what appliances or other products could both of you develop from scratch if society needed to be rebuilt from the ground up. Could there be a toaster imbued with the essence of Tofop? Perhaps a wheelie bin, which Charlie has not only poured his blood, sweat and tears into manufacturing, but has also designed it to be unstealable. Love to know your thoughts, gents, and cheers for all the years of comedy conversations. All right. I like the idea that your wheelie bin, for example, would actually be consistent of your blood, sweat and tears. Yeah, yeah. there'd be a little bit of each in the plastic. Yeah. I'd like to think it would be like Fury Road. You know, mm. one of the great things about Fury Road is the production design, the idea that even in the wasteland... You know, humans need to create like beauty amongst the found objects they have. So I think that, you know, if I did build a wheelie bin, it would have like elements of there'd be a cricket bat in there. You know, there'd be some stuff that I've salvaged from my house. There'd be a big skull and crossbones to ward off potential teenagers looking to steal it. Well, what I've noticed about, you know, living in the country now and looking out for snakes and toads and all these sort of things is I see everything as a weapon. So I think mine would be things around the house that you can easily turn into a weapon. That would be my specialist area. I'd be sort of the armorer that John Wick comes mm. and sees, but it'd just be shit from around your house you could use to kill something. And what would be the first thing you'd turn into a weapon? Well, I mean, it, just simple shit from around the house, right? So I, I like a rolling pin. Is it just think, stuff with a nail in it? Is that what you're thinking? You're just putting nails and stuff? Yeah, you got a rolling pin, you put a nail in it. And then you get a wooden spoon, you put a nail in it. What you might find you have in the house is a loaf of bread. Well, as long as you put a nail in it, it can be a handy weapon. I've got a bucket of nails. Put some nails in it. Put a nail in it. Last one is from Kristen. Hey, Tofop. Got some more bin chat for Charlie. At what point does your rubbish cease to belong to you and instead belong to the general public? Mm. A few months ago, 
I, w- I love the letters that open with like a question. It's a great way. It's like a, it's a good article in the New Yorker. You just open with a question and then explore yeah, it in mean, the body you've text. got me. A few months ago, I wheeled my yellow recycling bin out to the curb on bin night. As I did this, I saw a couple down the street rummaging through my neighbor's recycling bins that had already been put out. They were going through each bin in the street looking for bottles or cans for the container deposit scheme where the council gives you cash for your bottles. On the one hand, I applaud their entrepreneurial spirit. On the other hand, I'm incredibly uncomfortable with the thought that people are searching through my rubbish. What do you think? Love all of your pods, even the AFL one. Um, There's a dude who does that on our street. Strange old guy with a mustache. In fact, maybe it's me in the future. Could be. Uh, it's a strange old dude who, on bin night, he will go through all the recycle bins and he'll take out the the recyclable things he can get cash for. I'm fine with it. I'm fine with it. I'm not. I'm not a rubbish like. Um, I'm not militant about rubbish. It's the fucking bin. Leave the bin alone. Do whatever you want with my rubbish. Just don't fill my bin. Don't take my bin. Let my bin be my bin. Oh, no, I'm going to go a step further. You can take shit out of the bin whenever you want. I have absolutely no problem with that. I don't I don't care who's emptying the bin. The bin just needs to be emptied. If it's being emptied by like the garbage truck of the local council or if it's being emptied by somebody getting stuff out of it to go and take to recycling, the bin is being emptied. I'm fine with that. In fact, I'm probably better off with the guy who you know, he's collecting the bottles or whatever so that he can actually live. You know, that's probably his mm. existence rather than it going to some, you know, big landfill or whatever. So, yeah, I'm very happy. In fact, maybe I should like, maybe that should be that sort of thing of just, you know, going, I've got some good recycling in here. Maybe put a picture of it, maybe clear bins so that <laughs> sexy, people can see what recycling. is in the bins and see if it's something that they might need themselves. Well, as soon as we are done recording today, uh, what I'm going to go down, when I came, when I did my little dash to get the maple syrup this morning, I came back, there is a new bin out on my corner, a, a green bin that some neighbours put out that is mostly filled with green. But I did notice, and I'm assuming this is more teenagers, that people have been throwing their regular rubbish on top of the, the, the green bin. And so once we're done, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to go through that green bin and move the regular rubbish and recyclable from the green bin and put it in the correct bins because it just fucking drives me nuts. <laughs> and I'm, I think everyone should be okay with that. I'm just doing, I'm sorting the, 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 the rubbish before the council have to do it. I think that's a that's a good public service. I'm all for that. Okay, that's it for today. Um, if you want to check out our YouTube channel, you should. There's a brand new video with me and Dave Anthony up there. We talk about the history of Tofop and Walking the Room and LA Podfest. We discuss the death of Superpod. A bunch of really great stuff uh, there for anyone who's into either of our podcasts. Um, you can also go to our Patreon. There's some new merch up there. James has just released a brand new T-shirt. This may be our greatest money-losing scheme yet. A brand new T-shirt for doctors only. Australia's number one medical podcast, uh, number one medical professionals T-shirt for doctors only. I believe that's the angle. Is that right, Will? Yeah, it's literally, I am a doctor. So look, we're not saying you, we're not going to ask for evidence that you are a doctor when you go into red bubble to pay it. So perhaps maybe it's something that, you know, you're trying to impress some new Uh. paramour. And you want to right. like, maybe you're just trying to, in this new world when we're back out and about, how do you make yourself, you know, differentiated from others? Um, maybe you're just trying to impress the in-laws or something at Christmas and you want to have a t-shirt that says, I am a doctor. Because there's nothing that proves that you are a doctor more than a t-shirt that says, I am a doctor. But it's an excellent t-shirt and it's available for doctors at Redbubble. 
Uh, there's heaps of great merch up there. James is in the midst of doing some new designs. So once they're done, we'll plug them as well. Uh, Patreon is the best place to support us. Uh, if you can't uh, help us in one of those other two ways, you can go there now. There's a brand new um, uh, Tough Up Respondents Q&A uh, bonus episode that's up there. There's a new edition of Everyone Relax, um, which is James's bizarre adult take on Mr. Squiggle. I'm not sure if you've taken a good look at it, Will, but I had to read it three or four times to go, when did we have this discussion? How the fuck did this thing exist? It's brilliant, but it is like taking a psychedelic reading that comic strip. Yeah, I did uh, message back when I first read it that it should have a Pink Floyd (laughs) soundtrack that perfectly matches up with reading the comic strip. It is pretty out there, but it's pretty amazing. So patreon.com slash tofop is the place for that. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want. It's up to you.